Welcome to Read By, a new podcast where today's finest authors read what matters to them, from their homes to yours. In this episode, translation team Richard Pavere and Larissa Volokonsky read Anton Chekhov's short story, The Beggar, as well as dialogues from The Pearl Necklace by Nikolai Leskov. To learn more from Pavere and Volokonsky about their choices, check out the episode description. And now, read by Richard Pavere and Larissa Volokonsky. Richard and I will first read a story by Anton Chekhov, The Beggar. My dear sir, be so good as to pay attention to an unfortunate hungry man. I haven't eaten for three days, don't have a fiver for a night's lodging. I swear to God, eight years I worked as a village schoolmaster and lost my post owing to local intrigues, fell victim to denunciation. I've been out of work for a year now. The barrister Skortsov looked at the petitioner's tattered blue-gray coat, his dull, drunken eyes, the red splotches on his cheeks, and it seemed to him that he had already seen this man somewhere before. Now they're offering me a post in Kaluga province. I have no means of getting there. Be so kind as to help me. I'm ashamed to ask, but circumstances make it necessary. Gortsov looked at the man's galoshes, one of which was high and the other low, and suddenly remembered. Listen. I believe I met you three days ago on Sadovia Street, and you told me then that you were an expelled student, not a village schoolmaster, remember? No, it can't be. I'm a village schoolmaster, and if you wish, I can show you documents. Enough lying. You called yourself a student and even told me what you were expelled for, remember? Skortsov turned red and stepped back from the ragbag with a look of disgust on his face. That is mean, my dear sir. You're a crook. I'll turn you over to the police, devil take you. You're poor, hungry, but that doesn't give you the right to, to lie so brazenly and shamelessly. The ragbag took hold of the door handle and perplexedly, like a caught thief, looked into the entryway. I... I'm not lying, sir. I can show you documents. Who's going to believe you? To exploit society's sympathy for village schoolmasters and students. It's so low, mean, nasty, outrageous. Skvortsov got carried away and scolded the petitioner in a most merciless fashion. By his impudent lying, the ragbag had awakened loathing and disgust in him, had insulted in him that which he, Skvortsov, so loved and valued in himself. Kindness, a sensitive heart, compassion for the unfortunate. By his lying appeal for mercy, it was as if this subject had defiled the alms which he, out of purity of heart, liked to give to the poor. The ragbag began by justifying himself, swearing to God, but then fell silent and hung his head in shame. Sir, he said, putting his hand to his heart. Indeed, I, I was lying. I am not a student or a village schoolmaster. That's all made up. I sang in a Russian choir and was fired for drunkenness. But what am I to do? By God, it's impossible without lying. When I tell the truth, nobody gives me alms. With the truth, you die of hunger and freeze without night quarters. Your reasoning is correct, I understand. But what am I to do? What to do? You ask what you are to do? Work! That's what. You must work. Work. I understand that myself. 
But where will I find work? Nonsense. You're young, healthy, strong, and will always find work if only you want to. But you're lazy, spoiled, drunk. You stink of vodka like a pothouse. You're false and shoddy to the marrow of your bones and capable only of panhandling and lying. If you deign someday to lower yourself to work, you'll expect it to be in an office, in a Russian choir, or as a billiard marker where you can do nothing and get money for it. But how would you like to take up physical labor? It's not as if you'd accept to be a street sweeper or a factory worker. You've got pretensions. The way you reason, my God, where am I to get physical labor? It's too late for me to be a shopkeeper because you start such jobs as a boy. Nobody will take me as a street sweeper because I'm the wrong class to talk down to, and they won't hire me at a factory. You have to know a skill, and I don't know anything. Nonsense. You'll always find a justification. How would you like to chop wood? I wouldn't refuse, but nowadays even real woodcutters go hungry. Well, all parasites reason like that. If you get an offer, you'll refuse. Would you like to chop some wood for me? All right, I will. Very well, we'll see. Excellent, we'll see. Skwartsov hurried off and, not without glee, rubbing his hands, summoned the cook from the kitchen. Here, Olga. Take this gentleman to the shed and have him chop wood. The ragbag shrugged his shoulders as if in perplexity and irresolutely followed the cook. From his gait it could be seen that he had agreed to go and chop wood, not because he was hungry and wanted to earn some money, but simply out of vanity and shame, having been taken at his word. It was also obvious that he was badly weakened from vodka, was unwell, and felt not the slightest disposition to work. Skortsov hurried to the dining room. There, through the windows looking out on the yard, he could see the woodshed and everything that went on in the yard. Standing at the window, Skortsov saw the cook and the ragbag come out of the back door to the yard and make their way through the dirty snow to the shed. Olga, looking crossly at her companion, her elbows thrust out, unlocked the shed and angrily banged the door open. We probably interrupted the woman at her coffee, thought Skvartsov. What a spiteful creature. Then he saw the pseudo-teacher and pseudo-student sit down on a block of wood and, propping his red cheeks on his fists, fall to thinking about something. The woman flung the axe at his feet, spat angrily, and judging by the expression of her lips, began to scold him. The ragbag irresolutely pulled the log towards him, put it between his legs, and timorously tapped it with the axe. The log swayed and fell over. The ragbag pulled it to him, blew on his cold hands, and again tapped it with the axe as cautiously as if he were afraid to hit his galosh or chop off his toes. The log fell over again. Svartsov's anger was gone by then, and he felt a little pained and ashamed that he had made a man who was spoiled, drunk, and maybe ill undertake physical labor outside in the cold. Well, never mind, let him, he thought. It's for his own good. An hour later, Olga came and reported that the wood had been chopped. Here, give him fifty kopecks, said Skvartsov. If he wants, let him come to chop wood on the first of each month. Work will always be found. On the first of the month, the ragbag 
came and again earned fifty kopecks, though he could barely stand on his feet. After that he turned up quite often in the yard, and each time work was found for him. He shoveled piles of snow, tidied up the shed, beat the dust from the rugs and mattresses. Each time he earned from twenty to forty kopecks for his labor, and once he was even given a pair of old trousers. Skvartsov gave him more work later and was very pleased with him. Well, I see my words had an effect on you, he said one day, handing him a ruble. This is for your labors. I see you're sober and not against doing work. What is your name? Lushkov. I can offer you a different sort of work now, Lushkov. Cleaner work. Can you write? Yes, sir. Then go to my colleague tomorrow with this letter, and you'll get to do copying for him. Work, don't drink, and don't forget what I said to you. Goodbye. Pleased at having put the man on the right path, Skvortsov amiably patted Lushkov on the shoulder and even offered him his hand as he said goodbye. Lushkov took the letter, left, and no longer came to the yard for work. Two years went by. One day, standing at a theater ticket window buying his tickets, Skvortsov saw next to him a little man with an astrakhan collar and a shabby sealskin hat. The little man asked for a ticket in the gallery and paid in copper coins. Lushkov, is it you? asked Skvortsov, recognizing the little man as his former woodcutter. Well, how are you? What are you up to? Is life going well? Not bad. I work for a notary now. Earn thirty-five rubles, sir. Well, thank God. That's excellent. I'm glad for you. Very, very glad, Lushkov. You are my godson in a certain sense. It was I who pushed you onto the proper path. Remember how I reprimanded you, eh? You almost fell through the floor then. Well, thank you, my dear fellow, for not forgetting my word. And thank you, said Lushkov. If I hadn't come to you then, I'd probably still call myself a teacher or a student. Yes, I was saved through you. I jumped out of the pit. I'm very, very glad. Thank you for your kind words and deeds. You spoke very well then. I'm grateful to you and to your cook. God grant good health to that kind, generous woman. You spoke very well then. I'm obliged to you till my dying day. But in fact, it was your cook, Olga, who saved me. How so? Here is how. I'd come to you to chop wood, and she'd start on me. Ah, you drunkard, cursed as you are. There's no punishment good enough for you. And then she'd sit down, turn sad, look me in the face, and lament. Miserable man that you are. There's no joy for you in this world. And in the next, you drunkard, you'll burn in hell. Poor wretch. And in all in the same vein, you know. How much she grieved over me, and how many tears she shed, I can't even tell you. But the main thing was, she chopped the wood for me. I didn't split a single piece of your wood, sir. She did it all. Why she saved me, why I changed looking at her and stopped drinking, I can't tell you. I only know that from her words and generous acts, a change took place in my soul. She set me right, and I'll never forget it. But it's time. The curtain bells is already ringing. Lushkov bowed and went to the gallery. 
We will now read two dialogues between a husband and a wife from the story The Pearl Necklace by Nikolai Leskov. It's a Christmas story. It's a little out of season, but being a Christmas story, it has a happy ending, which is something we all need right now. From The Pearl Necklace. My wife tells me... Mashenka Vasilieva came by, asked me to go and help her choose a dress, and while I was changing, your brother and the girl sat over tea, and your brother says, what a fine girl. Why look further? Get me married to her. I replied to my wife, now I see my brother's really gone foolish. No, excuse me. What makes it necessarily foolish? Why deny what you yourself have always respected? What is it that I've respected? Unaccountable sympathies, inclinations of the heart. Well, my dear wife, you won't hook me with that. That's all very well in due time, very well when these inclinations proceed from some clear awareness, from recognition of an obvious superiority of soul and heart. But this, what is it? They see each other for a minute, they're ready to get hitched for life. Yes, and what do you have against Mashenka? She's precisely, as you say, a girl of clear mind, noble character, and a beautiful and faithful heart. Besides, she also liked him very much. What? So you've already managed to secure her acceptance as well? Acceptance or not, isn't it obvious? Love is in our women's line. We notice it and see it in the bud. You're all disgusting matchmakers. All you want is to get somebody married, and what comes of it doesn't concern you. Beware the consequences of your light-mindedness. I won't beware anything, because I know them both, and I know that your brother is an excellent man, and Masha the dearest of girls, and since they've given their word to look after each other's happiness, that's what they'll do. What? They've already given each other their word? Yes. So far it's just allegorical, but clear enough. Their tastes and aspirations are the same, and in the evening I'll take your brother to them. The old parents are sure to like him, and then... What? What then? Then let them do as they like, only don't you interfere. Very well, very well. I'll be glad not to interfere in such foolishness. There won't be any foolishness. Splendid. And everything will be fine. They'll be happy. Very glad. And they won't do any harm for my brother and you to know and remember that Mashenka's rich father is a notorious skinflint. What of it? I can dispute that, unfortunately. But it doesn't keep Mashenka in the least from being a wonderful girl who is going to make a wonderful wife. You've probably forgotten what we've always lingered over. Remember that all the best women in Turgenev, as if by design, had very unrespectable parents. I'm not talking about that at all. Mashenka really is an excellent girl. But her father, in giving her two older sisters in marriage, deceived both sons-in-law and gave them nothing. And he'll give Masha nothing. Who knows? He'll love her most of all. Well, my dear wife, hope springs eternal. We know all about this special love for daughters who are getting married. He'll deceive everybody, and he can't help deceiving them. He stands on that. And they say he laid the foundation of his fortune by lending money on pledges at high interest. You want love and magnanimity from such a man. 
But I'm telling you that his first two sons-in-law are both sly foxes themselves. And if he duped them, and they are now big enemies of his, then all the more will my brother, who from a young age has suffered from the most exaggerated delicacy, be left beanless. How do you mean, left beanless? Well, my dear wife, there you're playing the fool. No, I am not. You really not know what it means to be left beanless? He won't give Mashenka anything. That's the long and short of it. Ah, so that's it. Well, of course. Of course, of course, that all may be. Only I never thought that in your opinion to get a sensible wife, even without a dowry, was what's known as being left beanless. You know that sweet female habit and logic. She's already wandered off, but you get a neighborly dig in the side. I'm not speaking of myself at all. No, really. Well, that's strange, Marche. Why strange? Strange because I wasn't saying it on my own account. Well, you were thinking it. No, I was by no means thinking it. Well, you were imagining it. No, devil, take it. I wasn't imagining anything. Why are you shouting? I'm not shouting. And these devils, the devil, what's that? Because you try my patience. Well, so that's it. And if I'd been rich and had brought you a dowry? Oh, 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 that I couldn't bear. And in the words of the poet, having begun like a god, I ended like a swine. I assumed an offended look, because I indeed felt myself unjustly offended, and shaking my head, I turned and went to my study. But as I was closing the door behind me, I felt an invincible thirst for revenge, opened the door again, and said, that's swinishness. And she replies, Thank you, husband dear. Several days passed, but at home things did not wait for me. And when I appeared under my own roof on Christmas Eve, pleased to be free of my court duties, I was met by an invitation to examine a magnificent basket of expensive gifts that my brother was offering to Mashinka. What might this be? These are the groom's gifts to the bride. Aha, so it's come to that now. Congratulations. How else? Your brother didn't want to make a formal proposal without talking it over with you once more. But he wants to hasten his wedding, and you, as ill luck would have it, went on sitting in your disgusting court. It was impossible to wait, and they've become engaged. Well, splendid. There was no reason to wait for me. You're being witty, it seems. Not in the least. Or ironic? Not ironic either. It would all be useless anyway, because in spite of your croaking, they'll be very happy. Of course, if you guarantee it, they will be. There's a proverb, take three days to choose and you'll always lose. It's safer not to choose. You know, it's you who think you choose us, but essentially that's all nonsense. Why is it nonsense? I hope it's not the girls who choose their suitors, but the suitors who do the wooing. Yes, they do the wooing, that's true. But there is no such thing as a circumspect or reasonable choice. I shook my head and said, You should think before you say such a thing. I, for instance, chose you, precisely out of respect for you and being conscious of your merits. Rubbish. <laughs> Why rubbish? Rubbish, because you didn't choose me for my merits at all. For what, then? Because you liked me. So you even deny that you have merits? 
not in the least. I do have merits, but all the same, you wouldn't have married me if you hadn't liked me. I felt that what she said was true. However, I waited a whole year and visited your house. Why did I do that? In order to look at me. Not true. I was studying your character. My wife burst out laughing. What's this senseless laughter? It's not senseless at all. You, my dear, were not studying anything in me, and you couldn't have been. Why not? Shall I tell you? Kindly do. Because you were in love with me. Maybe so, but that didn't prevent me from seeing your inner quality. Yes, it did. No, it didn't. It did, and it will always prevent anyone, and therefore this prolonged studying is useless. You think that when you're in love with a woman, you look at her in a reasoning way, but in fact, you only gaze and wonder all the day. Well, after all, you make it somehow very real. I thought to myself, in fact, it's true. And, and my I... wife said, enough thinking, there is no harm done, and now change quickly and we'll go to Mashinka's we're celebrating Christmas with them tonight, and you should congratulate her and your brother. I'll be very glad to, I said, and we went. Nine Two Y's Red By is produced and commissioned by New York's Nine Two Y Underberg Poetry Center, a home for live readings of literature for over 80 years. To invite more authors into your home, subscribe to 92Ys Read By wherever you download podcasts. If you enjoyed this recording, please share it with a friend. Tag us on Twitter or Facebook, 92Y Poetry Center, and let us know your favorites. If you extra enjoyed and you're able in this uncertain time, please visit 92Y.org slash help now to donate to support 92Y and its new digital programming. We rely on your contributions. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Find more great readings at 92y.org slash archives. <laughs>